0: I need us. I need us. For the next several weeks, we as a church, uh, we're going to be looking at, well, we're going to be looking at the church. We're going to be looking at um, uh, the church's uh, vision, the church's DNA, the, the identity of the church, the foundations of the church, its roots. And, and Tom said last week, he mentioned this idea from Francis Chan's uh, book, Letters to the Church. Uh, he writes this, he says, imagine you find yourself stranded on a deserted island with nothing but a copy of the Bible. You have no experience with Christianity whatsoever, and all you know about the church will come from your reading of the Bible. How would you imagine a church to function? All right, so, so last week uh, we looked at uh, the church in God's dream in our drift. That was the title of the, the first message. And uh, if you guys didn't get a handout, um, that was uh, in my poor judgment. I didn't print enough, so I didn't even realize that. I think Tom's printing off some more right now. Uh, and you guys, uh, whenever he comes back and has those, we can we can get that rolling for you. But just um, bear with me. I'll have everything on the slides for you. So, So last week, we looked at the church and God's dream in our drift. And we looked at and Uh, kind of this 30,000-foot flyover uh, of the vision for this series and and the need for us to reevaluate why we are here this morning, like what the purpose of the church is for our personal walk with Christ and for our corporate walk with Christ. What the substance of the church is we're going to be looking at um, uh, worship evangelism fellowship discipleship being the body of Christ and guys these are just a few of the of the things that we want to cover for you guys so we can we can dive deeper in these areas and be more intentional with what we're doing here this morning and, and I just want to be so so honest with all of you I want you guys to be here for all of it not so that you can hear me not so you can hear Tom but so that um, we can uh, be astronomically changed together as we lean into what what we want to do as a church and how we want to worship as a church. Um, you're going to find so much purpose in your faith, so much meaning in your life, so much desperation. Just meet together and worship our Lord together. Uh, and before... Uh, before we get going, um, I just want to pray uh, I don't, before we get too far. We are a church that prays a lot, not because we want your necks to get sore, but because we need Jesus. We, we desperately need his conviction. We need his grace. We need the Holy Spirit, uh, and we need direction from the Father. So let's, let's just humbly pray again to our creator this morning. Lord God, you are so good to us. God, I say that every single time I'm up here because it's so, so true every single time I'm up here for, for my friends here, for, for their lives. You are so good. And Lord, I just pray this morning we can see how you, um, how you choose us, how you redeem us, how you seal our salvation by your spirit and how you, you hold us so close and call us your own. God, we're so thankful that you pick us up and hold us. Lord, I pray that you speak through me, Lord, that I get the heck out of the way, <laughs> that you be on full display, Lord. We love you, and all of God's people said, amen. Awesome. All right, so the question that I want to start off with y'all this morning uh, is this. Why does the church... Exists Like, why are we here? What's going on right now? Um, what are the foundations of the church? Why, what are its roots? And why are these roots so important? This is, this is going to shape how, we, how this morning is going to look. And uh, what I want to do is answer that question, why does the church exist, um, in two different steps. Uh, I want to first look at the church's identity, the identity of the church, and then I want to look at the church's purpose the church's purpose, because if we can see who we really are, our deep down DNA, our roots, our, 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 our the, everything that's going on in this church, then I think we can know the things that the church does from that point, the purpose, the things that happen in this building, the things that happen in our homes, in our families, in our workplace, on our teams. Our purpose. And the best thing is is that we have the, this access to the God of the universe that cares so deeply about every part of our lives, so deeply. Every part of your job, every part of your family and he gifts us with the church body. He gives it to us as a gift so that so that we can be Thomas here and he has got some handouts if y'all want some. He might might be able to hand them out for you. Awesome. Thank you so much, brother. All right. So the church exists so that we can exalt Jesus together. It is everything that we need, and everything that we didn't even know that we wanted, is the church. And so here's this quote by Pastor Rick Warren. I think it's so cool. I want to use it as kind of a vision for the series. Um, Jesus, he says, Jesus created the church to meet your five deepest needs: a purpose to live for, people to live with, principles to live by, a profession to live out and power to live on. There is no other place on earth where you can find all of those benefits in one place. No other place. All right, that is what we have in store throughout this series. So let's get to work uh, this morning. If you could open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one, that's where we're gonna be camping out for most of uh, this morning. Uh, here is, here's what I want you to notice as, as, we're, as we're working through this passage. Um, two things. I want you to notice the phrase in Christ or in him or through him. These, these words that, that are saying in Christ, all of these references. In fact, Paul uses this phrase almost 10 times in this passage. He uses this phrase almost 40 times all throughout the book of Ephesians, right? And this is, this is very important. The other thing, talk about how, see about how many things or how many times he says we, As the church, like we, he's talking to a group of people. He's 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 he writes the pastoral epistles, right? Like all of these these books of the Bible, he's talking to the church, and a lot of times he's talking to us personally, but it's usually in reference to the corporate church, right? And and so, um, this phrase in Christ and how he talks about we as the church, okay? So look with me in verse three. It's a really, um, we're gonna be in verse three through 14. It's a pretty solid chunk of scripture. Um, So just kind of bear with me and we can just work through it slow so we can just get saturated by, by this truth real quick. All right, so we're gonna start. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Solid chunk of material right there. Yes, so there's a few points that I want to really not make sure we don't hover over and we don't gloss over. I, I was going to just use the verses that pertain to those things, but as I was kind of doing my research, I realized that verses 3 through 14 in the original Greek manuscript, it's all one sentence, right? And Paul just does this all the time. He writes these just beautiful, eloquent um statements that go on for just pages as he's just, just hammering into the reader's mind his point after point, and, he's, and it's all referenced to the same thing. So, so what I want to do is kind of simplify this passage. I don't want to just read over it again, but I want to um, uh, see three marks of the church's identity in Christ, three truths that give the church its identity. So the first one is this, is that God chose us. God chose us. God chose us in Christ. Look at verse four. Um, It's it's implying that before Adam and Eve, before Genesis, before the creation of the world, God, you genuine Christian believer, he chose you, right? He chose you. And you may hear people say like, oh yeah, me, you know, I chose God on February 11th, 1999. Uh, No, he chose you before you were even born. That's wild. He chose you. He already knew you. So this is a deep truth that should not cause debate among us, right? It should cause immense joy. This shouldn't cause division in our church. It should cause definition in our church. We should be defined by him choosing us. It says it right here. This isn't the only place. This is the great doctrine of election, of God's choice. He, it's used over 50 times in the Bible. God has chosen you, Christian. He has chosen you. Have, you. have you ever realized that? Before creation, God said, I need those people. I need those people so close to me. I love those people and the, that person in particular, you in particular too. Let's press into this a little bit more because we see Paul does in the passage. In the last verse, uh, half of verse 4, uh, we read that we are predestined. Predestined us in his love through Christ. Right? This word predestination happens uh, five times in the New Testament. It's, it's not a bad word. It's, it's a good word. Uh, it's, it's right here. It's, it's in Scripture. Um, and, and I don't really understand the fullness of it all the time. Uh, nobody really does. It's a huge word. It's a huge concept. Before you were born, uh, and here's what you need to know about it. Before you were born, God destined you to be adopted into his family. Okay? As a believer, regardless of who you are, regardless of your sins, regardless of your rebellion against him, regardless of your, um, of your imperfections, he, he predestined you. And he says to you, sir, to you, ma'am, he says, I am coming to get you. I'm coming to take you home. And not only that, I am going to call you my own. I'm going to call you mine and be a part of my family. That radically changes the identity of church. That radically changes how we view our roles in the church. You are the family of God. Not because you were like super lovable or you worked your way into royalty. No, royalty found you where you were at and clothed you in his best robes, in his righteousness. He he invites you to come and feast of all and, and have the best feast of all time, right? Not only does he give us these um, blessings that are immeasurable, but he actually pays the cost. He does what it takes to adopt you as his own child on the cross, to call you his child. God chose us. God chose the church. This leads us to the next mark. Number two is that God redeemed us. God redeemed us. This mark um, is found in verses seven through eight. We have been redeemed in Christ. In him it says, uh, we have, this is past tense, Redemption. Redemption is having the price of something paid, right? A ransom was paid to buy something or someone back. Someone in, or something was in bondage, and then somebody came along and paid a price to buy that person back from bondage. So we need to be freed from the bondage of our sins. We need to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. If you're in Christ, though, you have been. This is true about you personally, because the price, the atonement, was paid. That's what it's called. The atonement was paid. Jesus lived the perfect life that I couldn't, that you couldn't. He died the perfect death that I couldn't, that you couldn't, right? He didn't deserve it, but he died as a substitute, and it's called a substitutionary atonement, okay? He died in your place. Here's a quote from an old dead guy uh, that was way smarter than me. Uh, His name's John Stott, and he's an incredible preacher, he he was, uh, an incredible preacher and Christian writer. Uh, He writes this, the concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. So we're looking at sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. And God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone. God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. That, that right there is redemption. That is sin and salvation. That is that dynamic. And it's crazy. Uh, and as a result of that, you've been set free, my friend. You have been set free. Your identity is now free one. The one that is free, we were redeemed in Christ. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are free from bondage. Our identity is now free man or free woman. That's you. You are no longer in sin. You are free in Christ. Not only that, it goes even a step further, uh, but we have been forgiven through the blood of Christ. We have been forgiven through the blood of Christ. This is a clean slate, Paul says. A clean slate. This forgiveness is just this wonderful display of God's heart towards us, of his, of his grace towards us. Jesus says, yes, I will, I will so gladly pay the price for your sins to have you because I love you. Oh, and all those things that that I paid for, the things that literally killed me and that you guys are ultimately responsible for, I forgive you for those things. That's the heart of our Lord, and it's amazing. So the third mark I want to look at right now is God sealed us. God sealed us. We've been sealed in Christ. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. This, this right here is unshakable. Have, uh, have you ever had like a favorite piece of clothing and you just like spill some like, juicers, like, some oil on it or something, and you just know the stain is never going to come out. Like, no matter how much you scrub, no matter how, what detergent you use, nothing is going to, to get this stain away. Here's the deal. If you are in Christ, if you are a believer, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and it is not going to go away. Just like that stain, it's not going anywhere. Your inheritance is sure. It hasn't changed and it's not going to. And so the passage then goes to say that the will of God will be accomplished. So you have great hope because God has given you the spirit, which is kind of his down payment of our inheritance. It's God showing us that he is good for it. He says, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to seal you with this. And having possession of the Holy Spirit guarantees your inheritance. And so this is so important. Listen to me. We as Christ followers have a guaranteed inheritance. This is huge. We have a guaranteed inheritance. I hope that, I hope that just brings you so much peace right now in your life, wherever you're at. I hope it does. We have so much hope that we are guaranteed that we can be in the presence of our Lord forever. That is so huge. You are his. We are his. John Piper, he paraphrases this passage or part of it um, by saying this. He says, so then what is God saying to us when he gives us his Holy Spirit and he calls him a guarantee or a down payment? He's saying, this is what God's saying, my great desire for those who believe in me is that you feel secure in my love. I've chosen you before the foundation of the world. I have predestined you to be my children forever. I have redeemed you by the blood of my son. And I've put my spirit in you as a seal and a guarantee. Therefore, you will receive the inheritance and praise the glory of my grace and praise the glory of my grace forever and ever. And I tell you this here in Ephesians chapter 1 because I want you to feel secure in my love and my power. Let me say it again. I have chosen you, says the Lord. I have predestined you. I have redeemed you. I have sealed you by my spirit. Your inheritance is sure because I am passionately committed to magnify the glory of my grace in your salvation. In your salvation. The church is the chosen people of God. And, and I think a good way for us to remember this concept is this, and it's not my idea, but I've heard it a lot, and I couldn't really track down where uh, it came from, but it's just, it's so true. It's it's this, the father planned, the son purchased, the spirit preserves. I want you to circle that on your, on your worksheet. The father planned, the son purchased, And the Spirit preserves. Oh, this is the the crazy work of the Trinity in our lives. It's so magnificent. The Father planning ahead of time your salvation, the Son actually coming and doing it, and then the Spirit sealing you, stamping you, saying, You are on your way. I have you, no doubt. So let's move on to the cherry on top of the sundae. Um, In verses 22 through 23, um, at the end of the first chapter, uh, it reads this. He says, And he puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. That's Jesus, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. He puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body. Now, we're going to get to the body uh, next week, I think, and we're going to, I'm going to save that for, for Tom. I don't want to step on his toes and take, well, I mean, Super Bowl's not until next week, so I guess I could have you guys stick around for as long as I really want, um, but I, I won't do that, okay? Um, it goes on to say that the fullness of him who fills all in all. If you recall, we just read in verse 10 um, that he unites all things in Christ, all things. He unites all things in Christ. Guys, this is just a a shining example of Jesus's perfect rule over everything, especially the church. This is when all of us kind of just sit back and marvel at the Lord's goodness and his sovereign rule in our lives. Y'all, all things are subject to the God that we serve. They are under his feet. Everything. That includes me. That includes you. That includes the person sitting next to you. That includes Tom, do- Tom's dog, Kish. Okay, that includes this church. That includes your job. That includes your team. That includes everything. Everything is subject to him. So what is our purpose then? What do we do with this? If we are in fact chosen by God, redeemed and purchased by God, and then sealed in His promise of salvation, then what is the purpose of our lives as individuals and the purpose of our lives as a church body? What do we do? This is what we do. Based on what we just talked about, I want to give you this. The church exists as the chosen, redeemed, sealed, people of God, that one, exalts God in every aspect, and two, brings the glory of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So first off, our purpose is to exalt God in every aspect of our lives. Exalt God in everything that we do. How do we do that? Because all of us have very very different lives. We have different uh, vocations, different family dynamics, different uh, cultural backgrounds. We have all these different things. Uh, when we, and, well, when we have so many different things going on in our lives, when we are all so different, we read in Scripture that all things are united in Christ. So when he says all things are united in Christ, we can see Jesus in all things, we can worship Jesus in, in all things that we are doing. As a church, we can see Jesus working in every aspect of our lives. Jesus is supposed to be the focal point. He's that uh, that which we ought to keep our eyes peeled on. And I want to I want you to think of it like this. Um, I grew up playing baseball. Um, obviously, I wasn't that good because I'm not playing anymore. Um, but here's the deal: when when you're up to bat and you're, you're doing your routine, you, you know, you've got your swagger or whatever, I don't know, uh, and then the pitcher comes up and he, he starts his wind-up and he, and he starts to release the ball out of his hand. That ball is coming in so fast. If you take your eyes off of that ball, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the ball almost every single time. And the thing is, you can have just the most beautiful swing. You can have like that Ken Griffey Jr. just smoothness. And here's the deal. If you don't have your eye on the ball, you're gonna miss it every single time. And the point is this, is that you can have the routine of church on lock. You can look like you have the best mechanics. You can look like you uh, have the greatest swing in all of church history. You You can dress the part. You can say the right stuff. You can go to the right church events. But if you don't have your eyes focused on Jesus the entire time, in the end we look like fools because we can have the most beautiful swing <laughs> but sooner rather than later three strikes and you're gone you're out colossians 3:1 says if then you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of god keep your eyes on Jesus we seek the things that are above we seek closeness with Jesus for what so I can have love and uh, be secure and have peace in my life yes but it's not so that we can be selfish and just be absorbed by ourselves and how good God is to us but so that we can exalt him so we can bring him glory so we can bring him praise we thank God for being such an amazing God that cares about broken and ugly people like me Man, this is wild that I am chosen, I am redeemed, and I am sealed. Oh, this, this should cause us, church, to break out in ridiculous praise. This, this should cause us to have immense exaltation of our Lord. It, it, it really should. He is so good. But His goodness isn't just for us. It's not just for us. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And to the ends of the earth, the church exists as the chosen, redeemed, sealed people of God that one exalts God in all aspects of our lives and two brings the glory of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So I want to wrap things up with this. There are a few things that I hope have been stirred up in our hearts this morning uh, that we would be reminded or realized for the first time that, that, that we were bought with a price. That you were bought with a price. That Jesus' death and his resurrection was the most dramatic cosmic shift of darkness turning into light. And this is true in your life. That through him and faith in him, we as a church can be woven and knitted together in Christ as his body. Not that so we can be just this inclusive group that's just full of a bunch of happy people. No, no, no. So that we can be passionate witnesses to this world, to Gunnison, to Western. It says it right here it says, You'll be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. Now, I know we just opened up another can of sermons right there, um, but I'm not going to go there right now. I just want to focus on the word witness. I just want to focus on witness right now. Uh, When when you are a witness, what are you? And I've provided like a a definition. This isn't Webster's, okay, so don't quote me on this. This is Tyler's um, definition, so uh, just see if it works real quick. A, A witness is someone that was present, Involved with and saw an event that took place in many cases are used in law court scenarios to testify against a crime while representing all they know and bringing forward everything they can possibly say about the event. A witness is that. And I want to rephrase that for you. A witness of Christ Jesus is someone who is present, involved with, and sees the glory of the gospel that is used in everyday scenarios to testify to a broken world while representing all they know and bringing forward everything they can possibly say about the gospel. And that is a witness of Jesus when we witness the glory of the gospel and we are changed by it, man, it should cause us to move. It should cause us to do something. It should cause us to talk about it, right? It should cause us to be uneasy about going throughout our days without experiencing the joy of the Lord. It should cause us to be uh, uneasy when we know of specific people in our lives that we could talk to about Jesus, where it would cost us absolutely nothing to talk to them about Jesus, yet it would give them Everything it would it would receive it would give them absolutely everything. It should make us feel uneasy about these things, but it should also make our faith unshakable. It should make our local church body an unshakable force in this valley and and to the ends of the earth. It should make our roots, our foundation so deep that nothing will stop Christ and his body from fulfilling God's will. Nothing will stop it. I'm just going to end with this, I promise. When um, when I was in college, um, I helped out with a youth group there and the youth pastor uh, that I was working under, um, he did landscaping on the side and uh, he saw that I was broken in college, so he offered me, he's like, hey, you want to come help me uh, do some some landscaping? And I said, sure. Um, so the, one of the first jobs that he had me on was pulling out this um, this really just average-sized tree. I don't know what kind of tree it was, but it was just an average-sized tree. It was alive. It was doing well. It was pretty, like, beautiful, um, but I'm thinking, like, okay, this should be quick, right? It's a pretty small tree, um, and, and the tools that were given to us were some gloves, a shovel, some, some loppers, some um, and, and another uh, and another guy was there with me, and uh, uh, we started just going at it, right, and we worked, and we worked, and we worked, and this tree, no matter how far we dug under it, it just wasn't going to budge. It, it was crazy. Obviously, the shovel wasn't going to get it out, and obviously, the loppers aren't going to do anything, but we look around us, and we see we have a truck, and in the truck, there's some chains, so yeah, let's just see what we, can, what we can make out of this. Um, so, so we chain up that puppy to the truck, and we start just going at it, right? And we just start pulling, and, and nothing's really happening. Maybe a couple of leaves are uh, falling off of the tree, and that's all that's happening. This tree is just not moving. It's pathetic, right? That, uh, well, I mean, we, we were, I think I recall we were using a Ford, so that's probably why it wasn't working. But we, my memory's a little vague. Um, but here's the deal. The tree didn't budge. The tree didn't go anywhere. Now, the reason this tree was near impossible to get out of the ground was because of how, you know where I'm going with this, how complex and how big and and healthy the root system was underneath it. See, when there's a deep rootedness, it doesn't matter how cold it is in Gunnison, Colorado. It doesn't matter what sort of storm is going to be hitting that tree. It doesn't matter what, um, what guys in college are trying to tear it down. It doesn't matter what is going on. That tree is alive. It is beautiful and is as big as it needs to be. When the roots run deep in that tree, there's strength and there's fruitfulness. And so the opportunity we have for the next several weeks uh, walking through this series is by the grace of God and only by the grace of God, only by the Holy Spirit convicting us that he might root us more deeply in who he is and who we are. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus that we might have unshakable faith in him as a church that we would exist for and that we would exist because of our God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we we're so grateful for your your heart. Lord, that you you had no really reason to come to us to find us and to help us but yet you loved us you had compassion on us and you you lifted us up and you gave us life and life to its fullest and you say that we are yours you love us lord god i just pray for those of us that are that don't really feel close to you or we've never really cared to feel close to you and now we're here this morning and um, And it's just you and us. Lord, I pray that you can draw them closer to you. Through your word, through prayer, through this church. That we as a church can be so identified in who you are and nothing else. That we can come alongside one another and pray for one another and lift one another up so that we can be so, so enthralled by your goodness. Lord, we come to you right now and we worship you. Thank you so much. All of God's people said, amen.